Hello and welcome to the Take is Directed podcast. I'm Steve Morrison, Senior Vice President and Director of the CSIS Global Health Policy Center. Heads of state are gathering in New York next week, third week of September, for the UN General Assembly. And on the agenda is the first ever UN General Assembly high-level meeting on tuberculosis. The purpose of the meeting is to accelerate efforts in ending TB, and it should result in a political declaration on TB endorsed by heads of state to share his thoughts on what he can expect from this high-level meeting on September 26th. We are joined today by Dr. Eric Goosby, a close friend an ally of ours in serving as the current U.N. Special Envoy on Tuberculosis at the appointment of the U.N. Secretary General. In this position, Eric is responsible for promoting the adoption and implementation of the World Health Organization's Global NTB Strategy. Prior to his position as Special Envoy on Tuberculosis, Eric was the U.S. Global AIDS Coordinator during the Obama administration, directing U.S. Strategy for addressing global HIV issues and directing PEPFAR under President Obama. He is also a professor in the School of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. Eric, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today. It's a real pleasure, Steve. Thanks. So let's start out. There's been a lot of negotiations and a lot of preparations for this meeting next week. Can you just tell us a little bit about what were the major issues that were getting thrashed over and debated out Um, in the preparations, and how did that process go in your view? Well, thanks for this opportunity. Um, This is a a historic event for the UN to convene a meeting around uh, tuberculosis. Uh, TB, antimicrobial resistance have been other meetings that have been convened focused on health issues. Uh, Non-communicable diseases will follow this one. But I think tuberculosis really highlights the uh, tragedy of a disease that has had the ability to uh, prevent, to diagnose, uh, to treat, and to cure. And we have uh, many individuals globally that have not been able to benefit from that science. We're looking at an infection that brings 10 million new infections in annually and kills 1.3 million each year. Uh, And I think that uh, these statistics are tragic when you have a treatment for drug-sensitive disease that is 85% of the time effective in curing. The meeting itself has been a really a three-year dialogue that has started uh, in um, the uh, General Assembly general discussion uh, in past UN meetings. It was really South Africa's work. Uh, in challenging uh, the assembly in the need for a focused tuberculosis discussion. Uh, The realization in South Africa carrying its burden of disease uh, that TB was, again, a disease that was neglected. And the Minister of Health, Matsaledi, was really a champion in uh, convincing the delegation Uh, the uh, UN-convened assembly, that this was uh, of enough urgency to uh, go ahead and have a dedicated meeting towards it. A coalition was created that uh, included uh, the community through WHO TB office work uh, as uh, the kind of uh, uh, protecting the surveillance data and aggregation and analysis of it over the years. We're really in a position to uh, define trends uh, and to highlight regions that were especially neglected. 
Uh, the approach that was taken included uh, an outreach that was orchestrated through the Stop TB program to identify local uh, community-based individuals and organizations in countries, especially the high-burden countries, to begin a dialogue that engaged the political leadership in each of the 22 high-burden countries that constitute about 90 percent of the burden of TB globally. That process culminated in the president of the assembly uh, convening a process and identifying uh, two co-leads, uh, Japan, Barbados, Antigua, uh, the ambassadors from both of those countries, uh, dedicated 100 hours or so of time, uh, both of them, uh, to uh, work on defining what the document uh, from the assembly should contain. Uh, writing versions of it, taking uh, uh, samples and recommendations from the assembly. Uh, and it was largely a process that was contained within the assembly, but within each country's contribution, community could contribute to content, not through a UN deposit, but through their own respective countries' input. That process was defined and made accessible. And I think uh, with a lot of orchestration from uh, WHO TB office and Stop TB, uh, they were able to uh, get individuals in front of the correct policymakers. And uh, really, a robust discussion uh, went, uh, went forward. The focus from uh, the participants' perspective was to really uh, identify concrete objectives in the area of number treated, uh, in those that would especially identify individuals who specifically would be brought into care over a shortened period of time, uh, the focus on high-risk populations, and uh, the availability of both prevention uh, and treatment uh, uh, interventions uh, could be quantitated and then uh, to have uh, plans developed that would drop those disparities. A comprehensive approach may be too much in many instances, but it's gone back and forth. Uh, and I would say that the biggest issue that came forward that was contentious were areas around intellectual property. Mm -hmm. uh, this has come up many times in past discussions. It will come up in the future. But that really stopped discussion for a number of weeks. And how has that evolved? And, and maybe you could uh, paint for us and for those who are not uh, experts in this area, what does it mean when we're saying there's a major contestation around intellectual property rights when we're talking about expanded access to prevention and treatment on tuberculosis? The, um, the short uh, version of that is that uh, uh, in trade negotiations for the United States, uh, the uh, ownership of drug patents uh, in particular in uh, the arena of tuberculosis has been the contentious issue, making newly discovered drugs available to the largest populations impacted does not always correspond to uh, the uh, availability uh, and licensure of drugs in those countries. Uh, having an uh, a kind of uh, escape clause that uh, has been used, for example, by Brazil in the past uh, to identify a public health emergency as a criteria that allows for a setting aside of the traditional requirements around patent 
uh, length, justification, and enforcement uh, has been contentious really going back uh, to the early days of HIV and cancer drug availability. Uh, the same argument of availability and uh, licensure and attribution uh, that is connected to uh, uh, reimbursements for third-party payers in developed world settings uh, and uh, in uh, really donor-generated availability of drugs in developing settings has been fought over and over again. I think that um, the current administration, uh, as others in the past have done, uh, kept that on the table and tried to draw a line uh, with the language that was in the UN discussion. Uh, but it was basically decided that it would not continue to fight it, and they went back to the old language that had been passed in prior agreements mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. other diseases, which was basically if it is a public health emergency, you still can petition and get a category where you can move forward with right. a drug. So um, so it's pretty much a, a status quo ante in a way. Uh, India was pushing hard around the – uh, changes on changes on trips on the you know it was really property and along with active various advocates that were pushing hard on this some of the western uh, advanced western economies the united states and others stood fairly firm on this and that was the protracted debate and they basically settled at the end on the existing positions that's correct and that is basically true yeah so uh i believe it was put on the side as we are not going to allow this to hold up the document. Uh, it was uh, freed up at the end of last week. Yeah. Uh, and it basically had the same language that was present okay. at the beginning of the okay. discussion. Yeah. So um, in terms of the, ad the, the gains, the advances, people have been talking. We had some folks from the administration here recently to, for discussions around the, the preparations. And there was a lot of hope that um, out of this gathering would come commitments by individual countries to specific targets, uh, 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 not macro-global targets so much as getting countries to embrace targets and have some kind of accountability mechanism that would begin to track performance, investments, impacts, and the like. Where does that stand, do you believe? Are we going – is this a breakthrough moment, do you think, the, the high-level meeting in terms of moving to a higher level of specificity around goals and a higher level of accountability? Well, Steve, that is really the intention of really everybody who have been uh, involved in preparing for the meeting. Uh, the importance of having the declaration include specific – expectations create, present to the global narrative an expectation that these numbers are acknowledged and become uh, part of the planning and implementation plans of each country. That requires that each country understand out, understands out of the 10 million new infections what number of those are represented from their country. And for their uh, TB number, how many of them have they identified, entered, uh, and retained in care? How many have they started on antimicrobacterial drugs? How many have completed them? Those uh, goals and objective targets are part of the language in the document. Uh, and we have done with 
profiles of each country uh, through the uh, WHO-TB surveillance data and the STOP-TB analysis, we have been able to create a worksheet for each country uh, and that shows numbers infected, numbers identified, entered, started, uh, those who have completed and sterilized, and any high-risk populations within uh, those country uh, epi profiles. That really changed the dialogue in each country and gave to the political leadership the information they needed to understand the uh, effectiveness of their current response, but also set a baseline for them for targeting uh, a strengthening of their response. Countries are going to come uh, with uh, their uh, highest uh, leadership, prime ministers, presidents, who will present to the assembly their uh, description of their current burden and their current plan to strengthen it. India, in particular, will be highlighting uh, many of its um, uh, program strengthening attempts over the last three years, which have been considerable. And even more ambitious are their plans for the next three years. So they are looking by 2025 uh, and, and uh, continuing their efforts to 2030. Uh, a uh, a strengthening exercise that is going to uh, rapidly bring uh, high numbers of people into into testing relationships uh, and into care distribution of new diagnostic tools that make it easier to make a diagnosis of both TB as well as uh, the presence or absence of resistance. So the correct antimicrobials are started. You know, it's very striking. The the change that's underway right now. I mean, tuberculosis as a field is one that's languished. It's been sort of a, regarded as a field that had a certain amount of resignation or pessimism surrounding it, the lack of high-level leadership, private sector disinterest, um, weak constituency, and a huge financing gap. And, and, and as you point out, enormous numbers untreated um, enormous fatality levels. And here we are. We're coming into a high-level meeting. Uh, it was predated by a ministerial that, that Russia hosted at the end of last year. Uh, high-level activism by the South African government has a huge burden. But India having changed course, enormously significant. China being a, a, a very important player. So what is it that, and when you look back, and the fact that you were appointed is evidence of some very significant change of heart. What was it that changed to bring us to where we are now, where um, we're going to see heads of state and ministerial leaders showing up in New York, um, around rallying around a carefully negotiated game plan uh, that really acknowledges that this has stepped up as a priority? Fortunately, I would hope that this will lead to higher levels of financial commitments. Um, what, what accounts for this change, and is it going to have lasting and enduring impact? Well, that's the question of the day, Steve. Um, I think that uh, the Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, uh, as he waned in his tenure, uh, really looked at his record and felt that he had uh, underemphasized the importance of tuberculosis as his uh, administration started to talk about universal health coverage, he began to um, be reminded of the big killing diseases, HIV, TB, as uh, uh, 
uh, uh, spoilers for that pivot into focusing on NCDs and uh, developing, supporting medical delivery systems that could accommodate a universal health coverage. All diseases, uh, the complexity of that, the need for continuity care, uh, and uh, you know the medical record need, the lab need, et cetera. I think that that awareness uh, uh, is what he came to me with, with would you be willing, uh, after just having done HIV in all of the same countries that carry a high burden of tuberculosis, knew the leadership, would you be willing to engage that leadership in discussions around strengthening? So I was uh, honored to engage with that. But I think the um, precipitating moment uh, that accelerated discussion and added an urgency to it that wasn't there was in 2015, the uh, overtaking of HIV as the leading killer of infectious diseases globally. Tuberculosis then became the leading killer of, uh, for infectious diseases. That put it in a permanent in front of everybody's face, and they could not ignore uh, that uh, new uh, dubious distinction. And I believe lent itself to sustaining a narrative uh, that that contained more urgency but also allowed us, gave us space to engage leadership in what their portion of the pie was that was already contributing to that 10 million new infections annually. I found in every discussion, and we went to over 22 countries, uh, went to 22 countries, every discussion with uh, ministers of health and presidents and legislators in terms of appropriators. We spoke to all three in each country. The level of awareness for HIV was high. The level of awareness for TB was uniformly not there. Didn't realize. You must be kidding me. 171,000 Nigerians are dying from TB every year? That's not possible. I should know that kind of reactions. That energized the Minister of Health in Nigeria and in other countries just in the same way to get the argument that they could bring to their legislatures that this was important for them and that domestic resources needed to be understood and what portion of the need are we filling with domestic resources and donor resources. Change the discussion because in tuberculosis, unlike HIV, uh, 80% of the cost of care is covered by the domestic money, whereas in HIV it was 85 percent, 90 percent covered by donor money. So we already had budgets. We already had delivery systems that were stood up and in most instances there for 30 or 40 years. They had been complacent and comfortable with no outreach to populations that had changed for about 20 years. The same strategy implemented each year. I think that the 2015 realization of TB ascent, the ascent of tuberculosis, matched with the knowledge of their local burden, gave a impetus with our visiting, with WHO and Stop TB coming in, with Stop TB nurturing civil society's awareness of this disparity, and that there were options in challenging calling uh, for a response, a stronger response from their respective governments. All, both WHO and Stop TB, supported on a staffing level the civil society's organization and response. We tried to amplify that, 
echo it when we would come in and visit as an envoy. Uh, and I think that combination uh, with uh, uh, a uh, an appreciation on part of the political leadership that this could become a political feather for a politician to say, I've responded to an unmet need of my people that has saved X number of lives. Uh, it was bought and taken up by all of the high burden countries as an area of strengthening. Now we need to uh, engage in a dialogue with donors so there can be a reorganization of the already existing resources on the table and to engage donors in uh, uh, the continued urgency for their continued support, the continued need for them to continue their support and not pull back with their support as the domestic dollars got bigger. So we're challenging primarily governments to increase their investment. But at the same time, we're talking to donors to maintain your investment. Uh, Don't recede with it because the usual reflex reaction to a donor is if the domestic money goes up, the donor money drops. So I guess I am optimistic that uh, this next week's high-level meeting has successfully converged the stakeholders on the glo- in the global narrative. It's made a concerted effort to try to include more of the private sector presence in each of the countries that are especially in the high burden uh, arenas uh, to create new partnerships with ministries of health, uh, understanding the role that the private sector plays in uh, in its interface with the targeted population and embracing that instead of fighting it. Mm-hmm. Many public health systems fight the public health, fights the private sector, uh, criticizing them around the quality of care, the cost of care being a barrier, all of the traditional things. And we have helped, especially in countries like India, change that discussion to one of Let's view the private sector as an extension of our public sector's ability to capture these populations. Include them in the surveillance system so you're hearing and getting reported their burden that you up to these uh, up to this moment they were not reporting and that the private sector get access to free drugs that the public sector pays and diagnostics. So increasing the surveillance quality of uh, our ability to know what's happening with the epidemic uh, and uh, quality control issues by moving into the public-private sector partnership that we're talking about, uh, which overall improves the number of providers and number of access points for the population uh, in, uh, that's burdened. Uh, I'm optimistic that the meeting has tweaked all of those stakeholders into a, a different level of awareness uh, and that now in your last aspect uh, are trying to pivot into accountability strategies that are most robust at the country level but have an overarching uh, international uh, uh, analysis that is uh, supportive and used to target, identify unmet needs and target technical assistance to come back in on the back end to strengthen. Thank you. Um, let's talk for a minute about multidrug-resistant tuberculosis. Um, we have a, uh, we've put out a paper and we'll be soon putting out a docu- short documentary on North Korea, for instance, on the health security threats there. MD, the MDR epidemic there is a very grave threat within the country and within the region. 
We saw a similar thing unfold in Myanmar a few years ago when we were very busy there. Um, and, and across the Mekong, this, you know, this has been, a, been an issue. Um, tell us a little bit about how that, how that phenomenon, that threat as a health security matter, which is a reflection of failed treatment and diagnosis, um, but it's growing and it's, it's become a bigger phenomenon. Um, it's expensive. It's difficult. Um, how does that fit in the strategy here and how much discussion will we see next week around, the, around resistance and the special challenges that those pose? Well, you're correct, Steve, to highlight that as a huge challenge. Uh, it is um, almost uh, a separate challenge from drug-sensitive TB. Uh, you alluded to it. The costs are uh, – it's uh, a 50 percent cure rate as opposed to an 87 percent cure rate with drug-sensitive. If you have multidrug resistant, it drops down to a little below 50 percent. If you have XDR, it drops down to about 20 percent. Uh, the time of treatment instead of six months with drug-sensitive goes to 18 to 24 months with MDR and longer than that to years with XDR. The number of drugs used for MDR uh, goes up to from four to six to eight uh, uh, or more, and with XDR, it's eight to 12 yeah. with surgery uh, to uh, resect areas that you cannot sterilize uh, part of the uh, treatment. Uh, expectation. The costs going up exponentially with that. Um, so it is almost a different response. There were 600,000 uh, cases identified uh, in the new data that will be reported next week. Of those, 82 uh, percent uh, uh, of these 600,000 uh, rifampin-resistant cases identified um, about 82% of it were ref, uh, were rifampin only. Then there's another 12, 8, 18% that goes in with INH and rifampin resistance. Making the urgency to diagnose correctly an individual when you first meet them uh, as having or not having resistant organism, uh, really dictating the correct drugs that you would put on them and where you would have their treatment uh, carried out and how you would treat them. Um, so a different challenge to the medical delivery system, all of which has costs associated with it and expertise that's needed to correctly triage people through that burden. Uh, I think that uh, the um, uh, kind of political utility of the awareness of MDR increasing really has um, invigorated the Eastern European kind of on the back door of Europe's awareness of an MDR threat uh, being right there and that Europe has a, a vested interest in that being identified and checked. Mm -hmm. So we tried to increase that awareness and to develop coalitions around uh, responses from a regional perspective that included Eastern European, included Australia, Papua New Guinea, uh, New Zealand, the Philippines, uh, included Vietnam and China in that, uh, where a grouping of countries close to each other uh, take on a regional sharing of resources to strengthen their response. Uh, both technical expertise uh, in one country being shared with another, mm -hmm. but also um, money moving back and forth. So 
I think um, this meeting will again reinforce and foster more of those types of partnerships. Let me ask you just two specific around two specific countries, um, and then come to a closing question around sort of what what keeps you awake at night. The two specific countries: one is Russia, which stepped forward a year ago and has been very important in in this process, um, and of course Russia today. Um, remains highly isolated, subject to lots of sanctions, um, and uh, on all sorts of levels connected to Crimea, occupation of Crimea, the Donbass, meddling within the Donbass eastern Ukraine, the chemical uh, poisoning uh, in UK, uh, other things. Here we have an instance where Russia's health diplomacy is is moving, uh, attempting to move forward a sort of shared global agenda, and, and and achieving something here. Maybe you could say a bit about why and how are the Russians taking this role, and what does that really mean? And is this a signal, in your view, of a, a lasting and sustainable, um, a greater level of engagement on global health by the Russians that could have benefits extending into other areas, or maybe it already does. That's the first question. Second is around Japan. It's just great that Japan has chosen to partner with Barbados Antigua to do this. I mean, I think it's terrific. They're sending a huge delegation. They'll be coming here at the end of next week for a, a U.S.-Japan. There's their delegation come here. We're hosting them along with the National Academy of Medicine for a day-long, high-level dialogue with the Trump administration. It's terrific. You know, I think they deserve a lot of – both co-sponsors deserve a lot of credit. No, thank you for saying that. They and, really do. And so um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about what motivated the Japanese to jump in and the way they did. So yeah. let's first, first – some comments. I realize the Russia mm-hmm. issue is a very sensitive issue. I don't want to put you in an uncomfortable position, but to, to the degree you can explain that and what that might mean looking ahead does a signal – a more expansive health diplomacy by the Russians, and then the, a bit on the Japanese choosing to to jump in. Certainly. Um, well, I think Russia, with their November 2016 uh, convening of ministers of health, had um, a uh, they precipitated an awareness of tuberculosis that elevated it immediately. We were humbled by the attendance that occurred there uh, and the importance that the Russian government uh, put on the Up to the level of of President Putin. President Putin uh, was the opening plenary and spoke directly to his burden of disease and his concern around the Eastern European threat of MDR, uh, used the WHO numbers uh, and committed to a response that Russia played a role in supporting the Eastern European countries that uh, were part of the USSR before and now no longer are to use Russian aid to come in and help them in diagnosis and treatment struggles. Um, That has uh, begun uh, and I believe uh, uh, in the Eastern European countries but has not reached it's it's hasn't reached its point of acceleration yet. They are just starting mm-hmm. that engagement. 
However, in Russia, the drop in number of new infections has been precipitous. Uh, they have strengthened their ability to identify and start individuals on treatment and their uh, uh, enabling strategies to retain people in care. That matched with a uh, appreciation of the convergence of the drug user epidemic. As reticent as Russia has been to prevention strategies around drug use, they have intensified the diagnostic uh, effort to identify people with TB within that community. So I believe uh, that the drop we've seen in number of new infections from Russia is real. So they've had a significant drop of 14 percent uh, over the last year, and some and the Russia's, Russia believes that it's even greater than that. Uh, what was the what was the precipitating event? What what changed their outlook to to uh, to um, motivate them to become so active in this way? I mean, this problem has been around for some time. So suddenly, you have this activism with high impact and commitment inside their own country, but beyond their own country, and and with a regional perspective. You know, I don't really know what internally rose it to such a uh, high level. Yeah. Russia has attempted to do this with HIV a few years back to convene the same type of ministerial high-level meeting. It was attended but not as uh, uh, – there weren't as many ministers of health who attended, but it was well attended. Uh, but it didn't um, result in active – post-meeting follow-up. that uh, So the R Russia kind of had the meeting and that was the end of it. The November meeting, uh, Russia, because of its partnership with WHO uh, and the Stop TB community-based outreach effort, uh, laid in a post-meeting um, uh, planning effort that 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 joined the march up to the high level meeting, mm -hmm. so it became kind of the start of the emphasis on TB, and uh, with the appointment of uh, the uh, of uh, uh, a new director for the HIV TB office from Russia. Mm -hmm. Uh, Teresa has been able to uh, keep the Russian involvement uh, warm, if I could use that word. And uh, I believe we're all hopeful that this will support Russia's decision to move into more of a donor role in global health uh, uh, development support. Uh, Russia articulates that desire but has not manifested it yet in tangible uh, work. Russia but, didn't make a major contribution to the WHO TB program this year? They made um, a contribution last year that was uh, in the millions of dollars. I think I can't remember what it was, but it was significant. Uh, and that was greatly appreciated. Uh, it helped uh, support WHO's planning uh, for the high-level meeting. Uh, and I believe will continue. Thank you. Japan, well, what, Japan. What, what prompted them to Japan take this um, has played, uh, as, as you've said, uh, uh, a critical role in um, bringing attention and bringing uh, respective colleagues in different countries to the table uh, to plan and engage in participating in the meeting. Japan attributes its interest in tuberculosis to its own journey in response. In 1961, they established the equivalent of national health care, right. and that 
pivot into national health care did not include a specific program focused on tuberculosis, but they saw in that availability of health care and as their economy grew concomitant, they saw a precipitous drop in TB incidence. Uh, and they attribute the availability of comprehensive primary health care as the central contributor to that drop. Having a, a, a provider engaged with an individual over time, they were able to identify, diagnose, and treat tuberculosis and to identify contacts in the family unit more effect, efficiently, effectively. Uh, that awareness makes Japan very keen and supportive of universal health coverage. I would say that is their main focus in their international global health uh, discussions. And they saw tuberculosis as an example of a disease that supported the agenda of universal health coverage, that they had a, uh, a national story about uh, and have come in full force to support this discussion. The TBUHC junction is, I think, how I would right. characterize it. Right. Thank you. So um, uh, one closing question, which is what's keeping you awake at night as you think about where we are on tuberculosis, looking beyond the events of next week? What, do you, what's, what are you going to be most concerned to keep your own focus and the focus of others? Well, I think that um, keeping our eye on amplifying the hope that's going to be generated out of next week's meeting to capture, preserve, and reflect that hope out back to uh, the world, but specifically to the political leadership that's in the position to decide to increase domestic resources. We need to hold that hope as a be a catalyst for an accountability uh, system that is tangibly stood up within each country and that the international multilateral community supports from afar. Uh, the accountability that the uh, WHO UN system holds to hold the country accountable uh, needs to be strengthened. Uh, those conduits of communication need to be uh, kept open and expanded, and not in a punitive way, but in a this is the conduit through which you will get technical assistance to help you strengthen, which will take the form of money and brain power. But that that be begun and sustained is the concern I have. Uh, it's easy to start things. The harder thing is when the spotlight moves away to have that a uh, good start be sustained in uh, the maintenance run until they, they get to the finish line. Uh, I believe uh, it, the tragedy of TB, where we know the science, we can't put the science in front of the people who need it, and we can't stand up delivery systems that uh, are continuously uh, uh, capable of doing that. It's episodic. It's three months of funding, three years of funding, and then a wane in funding, a surge in, in incidents. Uh, and that pattern, how many times do we need to see it to, uh, to uh, hold ourselves accountable to what we already know will prevent it? My second concern that wakes me up at night is that, um, that as we move into a deeper appreciation of the role NCDs plays in killing the same populations we have focused on with tuberculosis, 
that we not allow that pivot into NCD diagnosis and treatment capability diminish our efforts that we've already stood up for tuberculosis. Uh, indeed, we need to find a way that the pivot into NCDs strengthens both. Uh, both are needed. Both kill our population. Uh, and both require a specific uh, nurturing that is not uh, diverted into one disease versus another disease discussion, but all boats rise. Universal health coverage gives us an opportunity to do that, but presents a challenge of a multiplicity of new diagnostic and treatment modalities that have costs associated with them, educational learning curves that need to be engaged and overcome, uh, and the sustain, uh, the, how long that needs to be sustained is really humbling. So that's the thing that I worry about. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eric. And I just want to uh, thank you for, uh, for your service in this envoy role, which has has been terribly important in getting to where we are today. Um, I want to also thank you for your service um, as the Global AIDS Coordinator during the Obama administration, terribly important. Um, we're very grateful to you for all that you've done in those roles and, and other roles that you've occupied. I want to you know, congratulate you in advance for next week. I, this is a very hopeful moment and a big moment on, on, a, on a disease area that has been neglected and which is uh, coming into focus in a in a very constructive way. So thank you so much. Well, thanks, Steve. You know, uh, not not to uh, share uh, compliments, but it's been gratifying to see the role that you and CSIS has played in identifying this issue early and creating a crescendo march of events and highlights that has very much supported this moment. So it's a shared it's a shared uh, compliment. Thank you. So thank you for joining us for today's episode of our Take As Directed podcast featuring Dr. Eric Goosby, UN Special Envoy on Tuberculosis. We invite you to subscribe to Take As Directed so that you never miss our latest episode. For more information on our upcoming events and recent publications, please visit the CSIS.org Global Health Policy Center program page.